Some people they could listen to it in the morning and listen to it again some other day on the afternoon and then listen to it another day on the evening and it could be all three for any one person at any reason time. There you go. Okay. Well, we welcome you to Daddy's. Oh no, that's not right. That's a different one. We welcome you to I took a right turn. Yeah, she took a right turn into that. <laughs> We are Robert and Rosalie Owens, and it's such a pleasure to spend some time talking with you, even though we can't see you, and um, sharing scripture. We have a, a scripture we want to share today, a song, and some reading of a book, and the normal stuff, and yeah. jibber-jabber. Jibber-jabber, you know. We want to thank all of you who tune in regularly to this podcast. We appreciate you and hope that you are getting something out of it. We figure you are since you're coming back. Amen. That's yeah. right. So we're going to go into the Word. We're going to go into to um, John, Big John, uh, chapter 3. Well, when I say this, 316, you all know what that is. Really? I mean, you go, they show football games and people holding up signs, John 316. You know, <laughs> then we, go, we get to even beat the ball games. <laughs> yeah, right. That's as close as we get to a sports section on this uh, podcast. <laughs> Okay, it works. Okay. Okay, starting in the 16th verse. This is how much God loved the world. He gave his son, his one and only son. And this is why. See, not only did he give his son, there's a reason why. So that no one need be destroyed. By believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. God, God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son, merely point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help, to put the world right. Anyone who trusts in him is acquitted. Anyone who refuses to trust in him has long since been under the death sentence without knowing it. And why? Because of that person's failure to believe in the one-of-a-kind Son of God when introduced to him. You know, and it all comes, that just all comes back to the, the why did he send him? Well, the sin problem, you know, it doesn't take a genius or uh, somebody who's extremely astute and looking into politics or economics or anything like that, history, to see that there's something wrong in this. I mean, it's just not right. People are mean to each other. People are killing each other. I mean, it's war and, and going on all the time. Persecution, you know. And I have a hard time. I have to. I have to say, when you said people are mean to each other, just say, for instance, being in a grocery store and two people exchange are exchanging a conversation. And one is being mean. Be it, be it a parent to a child or a, a couple or a man to a woman or whatever, a woman to a man. When they're, I just have a hard time keeping my tongue shut yeah. when they're talking a mean tone. And it happened the other day in the grocery store. This woman, in a, I think it was her son, it was a younger man. That I thought I wanted to say something to him because he was being so disrespectful. Mm. Well, you know, here's the thing. God created the world. And it says that after he created the world, he looked at everything and he said, everything is good. Amen. Everything is good. And we look at the world today and everything isn't good, no. you know? And the, that's because of the fall of man. What we have to realize when people, you know, and it's it, it's almost uh, counterintuitive to our minds today because of the way we're raised and how we're taught and the things we learn in school and at home to realize that man, human humanity, I'm using man in the general sense, humanity is in an abnormal state. This is not how God created us to be. He created us to be in, in community with him and, and in peace with each other. And 
were not because of the fall of Adam and Eve. They fell and all humanity has been since born into a fallen state where we're separated from God. And there's no way for us to be in communion with God because we have sin in us. You know, and people say, well, I, I don't sin. Well, the problem is we're born with a sin nature. You know, it's just like the, we all know you don't have to teach people how to lie. Mm -hmm. You have to teach people how to do things wrong. People will figure it out on their own and they do. Mm -hmm. You know, and everybody does eventually do things wrong. We all sin. And it's not just the sin we're born with. We all have our own sin. Well, no sin can be where God is. Mm -hmm. And so we cannot be in fellowship or communion with God because of that sin. Mm -hmm. And there, what do we do about it? I mean, you can't say, well, I'm going to stop sinning. Well, does that pay for the sins you've already done? I mean, what happens to them? I mean, you know, with God, sin is sin. Yeah. You know, so there was no way for humanity to save itself. Mm -hmm. So God loving us as he did. looked at the situation and said, well, I'll send my son. He can become a human being, live as a human being, live a perfect life with no sin. And then when people believe in him, I'll count that as righteousness to them. I'll if they believe in him, I'll count them having the same standing as he had. And, you know, like it says, he, he gave his son, his one and only son, and this is why. So that no one need be destroyed. Because if we continue in sin, die in sin, we're destroyed. I mean, our, our, we'll never be with God. Mm -hmm. You know, it says that by believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. You know, and in some translation it says, you know, everlasting life. And so, by being joined with, with Christ through faith, we join in his life. And another place, Paul puts it that if we'll join in his death, we will join in his life. We join in his death by identifying with him. You know, because Christ has always been, you know, spurned and attacked by the world. They killed him when he came. They killed him. You know, he's rejected now. More people reject Christ in the world than accept him. And many who say they accept Christ don't even know what that means. I mean, they just accept. Well, I accept Christ. I belong to the ABC Church over here, so I, yeah, I accept Christ. Don't know a thing. Have never read the Bible, maybe. Don't know anything about the gospel, you know. And so he came to give us life, you know. And uh, he didn't come, like he says, to point an accusing finger. He didn't come to convict us. The Holy Spirit is the one who convicts us of sin. Yeah. Christ is the one who saves us from sin. So he came. And, you know, there's a problem in this world, and God came to fix it. Jesus came here to fix the problem. God's going to fix it. Well, and... Uh, yeah. The, the next verse says, this is the crisis we're in. God light streamed into the world, but men and women everywhere ran for the darkness. They went for the darkness because they were not really interested in pleasing God. Everyone who makes a practice of doing evil, addicted to denial and illusion, hates God's light and won't come near it, fearing a painful exposure. But anyone working and living in truth and reality welcomes God light so the work can be seen for the God work it is. So many times we have wanted why this certain person doesn't want to be around us anymore. Right. And I believe that answers my question. Why are we the right. Why are we rejected? Right, that's why. They went for the darkness because they were not interested in pleasing God. The God light won't come near fearing a painful exposure. No words have to be said. No. Many times people, just the presence of a Christian can drive someone who's not a Christian away. It, it's amazing. It amazing, really is indeed. amazing. Yeah. You know how people, and especially Especially like if you were had a you know you lived a life you weren't saved which we all have uh -huh. and then you get saved you become a Christian when you
you see the difference. Some people who were your best friends are like, hey, I don't want anything to do with you anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, some people who were, you know, you had nothing, you didn't have anything to do with, it's like all of a sudden you're attracted to them because they're Christians, mm -hmm. you know, and I, this is, it's perfect, you know, God is coming to fix it, and when he fixes it, he fixes us, yes. you know, and then this is what we can do. We just start loving others. Mm -hmm. We start living a servant life towards others, you know, and then let that go like in concentric circles, like when you throw a stone into a pond, the circles come out, mm -hmm. and these circles come out from a saved life of love, mm -hmm. and they change the world that that person is in. And this is God's gift to us. You know, we're born abnormal in an abnormal world. God's going to fix it. Hallelujah. Amen. Glory to God. You know, and we can all, you know, that's why people hold up those signs, John 3.16. That's why people walk around with signs on, John 3.16. That's why people hand out tracts, John 3.16. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son into the world to save the world so that anyone who believes in him can have life and not just life everlasting. Abundant. Abundant, yeah. yeah. Amen. Amen. It's a strong scripture. We Amen. pray that you all get that into your spirit and live it. Amen. Amen. And let it get in you and live in you. You know, because it will. It's a living word. We can we can gain so much. You know, I was thinking of that, looking at this too. I was going through my Bible to get to this place. The book of John in, in the New Testament is only a few pages. It's only 10 pages long or something. Yeah, it's not a big book. I mean, the whole New Testament is at that big. You know, and people are see it as a daunting, you know, feat to read the Bible. Well, people read books that big all the time. You know, especially people who read fiction books. Read lots of books as big as the Bible. You know, and think nothing of it. And reading the Bible, is, is life-giving. You know, other books might be entertaining, but reading the Bible is life-giving. Oh, praise you, Jesus. Amen. It's great to even just talk about it. And, you know, yeah. I know, I get turned on just talking about it. I know, it's wonderful. Amen, amen. Okay, so that is all we're going to say about that for now. Just please read this, try to get it into your spirits, and live it. Yes, yeah. that's what we want to do. Yeah. Next up is a song that we wrote that has something to do with God's God going to fix, fix it. That's right. That's right. Whenever we hold a revival, God gives us a new song. And this is a song that he gave us when we were holding a revival in Holbrook, Arizona at Saints Home Church of God in Christ with all our beautiful brothers and sisters there, Superintendent Raymond Flemons and all the entire Northern Arizona revival team. This song is called On Tomorrow, and we hope you enjoy it. On tomorrow, that's when to fix it. On tomorrow, God's gonna make it right. On tomorrow, the demons will be screaming, cause on tomorrow, God's gonna make it right. On tomorrow, God's gonna fix it. On tomorrow, God's gonna make it right. On tomorrow, the demons will be screaming, cause on tomorrow, God's gonna make it right. On tomorrow, God's gonna fix it. On tomorrow, God's gonna make it right. On tomorrow, the demons will be screaming, cause on tomorrow, God's gonna make it right. You know, when the saints of God are in the house of God, don't you know the devil is out in the phone booth dialing 911? He's saying, I need some help around here. These people are praying. 
These people are believing God. These people are asking for miracles. Well, I'm just here to tell you that when the saints of God follow the word of God, which says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. If his people will turn to him, turn away from the world and call upon him, ask him, he will send revival. On tomorrow, that's on the fixes. On tomorrow, God's going to make it right. On tomorrow, the demons will be screaming cuz. On tomorrow, God's going to make it right. On tomorrow, God's going to fix it. On tomorrow, God's going to make it right. On tomorrow, the demons will be screaming cuz. On tomorrow, God's going to make it right. On tomorrow, God's going to fix it. On tomorrow, God's gonna make it right. On tomorrow, demons will be screaming cuz. On tomorrow, God's gonna make it right. On tomorrow, God's gonna fix it. On tomorrow, God's gonna make it right. God's gonna make it right. On tomorrow, demons will be screaming cuz. On tomorrow, God's gonna make it right. On tomorrow, God's gonna fix it. On tomorrow, God's gonna make it right. On tomorrow, the demons will be screaming cuz. On tomorrow, God's gonna make it right. On tomorrow, God's gonna fix it. On tomorrow, God's gonna make it right. On tomorrow, the demons will be screaming cuz. On tomorrow, God's gonna make it right. Well, we hope you enjoyed that God-inspired song. It, it has, it's a God-inspired one, and we've had a good time with it, and we pray that it touches your spirit. That song really had an impact, and we use it, and we use it in revivals, as, as we speak about during the song, and it really had an impact while we were playing it and singing it. Everybody seemed to enjoy it. We hope you did, too. That's right. Now we're going to move on to uh, chapter 15. 15 of the Trojan War. Yes, America's Trojan War. Remember, it's the first book in a five-book series. You can get all of them on Amazon.com. All you got to do is put in America's Trojan War, Dr. Robert Owens, in the search line. Click on that. Bang, it'll pull the book up. Click on my name. You'll go to my author's page. And all of my more than 30 books are available there with one click, either Kindle or paperback. Hope you enjoy it. Chapter 15, The President Takes Command. Each phase of the ISIS invasion had knocked America back on its heels. Washington was ablaze. More than a thousand individual fires were raging. The White House was a smoking crater, as were Congress, the Supreme Court, and the Pentagon. The civilian and military chain of command had been decapitated in a strike so devastated and targeted, so effectively executed, it went far beyond any advanced planning, war game simulation, or contingency planning. America's ship of state was rudderless at the moment of greatest peril. 
Every police station in Washington was under attack. Fort McNair, Andrews Air Force Base, Bowling Air Force Base, and every other military facility in the capital was burning and under attack. There had been nothing like it since General Ross and the Redcoats had burned the city during the War of 1812. There were snipers and bridges down on all the approaches to the city, as well as along many other major highways throughout the nation. There were major fires burning caused by large corporate planes used as missiles in Richmond, Baltimore, and Harrisburg. Hundreds of other cities had fires burning from smaller private planes crashing into hospitals. Suicide bombers had blown themselves up at malls and other crowded public places all over the country. Every military installation in the country was under attack by snipers and suicide bombers. By this time, the final phase of the assault was launched. It was 10 a.m. Eastern Time. The whole world was watching. Our NATO, NATO allies did nothing. Later, they would say they waited for America's leadership to invoke Article 5 of the NATO Treaty, which says that an attack on one is an attack on all. Since immediately after attack, there was no clear American leadership, this gave the old world a convenient excuse to stand aloof from the sneak attack on the new. They would also point out that they were busy dealing with the effects of the attacks on American bases in every one of the member countries. They would, of course, later deliver massive bills for all their help. Russia and China both watched events unfold, making no move to help. They bided their time, waiting to see the United States, led by an administration leading from behind, would be able to rise to this challenge. Snakes coil before they strike, and the bite of a poisonous snake can kill. However, in a battle between a snake and an eagle, only a fool would bet on the snake. In the darkest hour of the darkest day in America's history, while everyone else in the world wondered what America would do, in the hearts from sea to shining sea, from alabaster cities and purple mountains, from amber fields and fruited plains, Americans of every race and nationality knew what we would do, no matter how long it may take to overcome this premeditated invasion. The American people, in their righteous might, would win through to absolute victory. Through the billowing smoke of thousands of fires, a ray of light broke through. Over the sound of explosions and gunfire, a message was broadcast from Arizona that began to bring clarity to a kaleidoscope of changing tones. At 11 a.m. Eastern Time, Patricia Parker, the recently confirmed but not yet sworn in Secretary of Education, announced that according to the Presidential Succession Act of 1947, as amended in 2006, she was taking command as the highest ranking survivor, surviving cabinet member. She was the ex-governor of Arizona, who had been appointed to the post by President Obama as a gesture of conciliation to the right wing in America. The president rarely consulted his cabinet, instead running the government through his many czars and the regulatory agencies that really controlled everything. Mr. Obono knew that in his revolutionary administration, built along the lines of a Linsky-style community organization, the post was mainly a ceremonial ribbon-cutting affair. 
as the election year began, he wanted to have the appearance of governing from the middle so that he could help the Democrats hold on to the, the White House and solidify the fundamental changes he had built into the once constitutionally constrained federal government. Now, in the middle of this unfolding battle, everyone was glad that someone was taking the helm of the civilian government. Parker had the Chief Justice of the Arizona Supreme Court swear her in as the President of the United States. She immediately called up the Arizona National Guard and moved her office to Fort Huachuca. Fort Huachuca, located in Cochise County in southeast Arizona, about 15 miles north of the border with Mexico, is the home of the U.S. Army Intelligence Center and the U.S. Army Network Enterprise Technology Command, 9th Army Signal Command. Fort Huachuca is also the headquarters for the Army Military Affiliate Radio Station and the Joint Interoperability Test Command and the Electronic Proving Ground. As soon as President Parker arrived at Fort Huachuca, she moved fast to fill the vacuum left by the attack in Washington. Not caring a fig about seniority, rank, or tradition, as soon as her helicopter landed and she was in the command center of the base, she appointed General Edward Brown, the commander of the U.S. Army Intelligence Center, as the new chief of staff of the Army and the chairman of the Joint Chiefs. As a 25-year veteran and retired colonel with four combat deployments, the new president was determined that as commander-in-chief, she would take direct command of the military. But she knew she needed someone to fill the slot and handle the particulars. Having been stationed at Fort Huachuca during her career, she was intimately familiar with all its capabilities. General Brown, have Mars broadcast on all frequencies that we have a new president and that every military facility around the world should use all means necessary to secure their positions. Contact General Shavitsky at Davis Mountain Air Force Base and tell him I've just appointed him Chief of Staff of the Air Force. Contact the Ranking Admiral in Hampton Roads and tell him he is now Chief of Naval Operations. Contact the Commanding General at Paris Island and tell him he is now Commandant of the Marine Corps. Contact General Wilson of the Arizona National Guard and tell him he is now Chief of the National Guard Bureau. Everyone in the room was glad to have someone take charge, and the mood in the room swelled from confusion and doubt to certainty and determination. General Brown was on the phone contacting the new Joint Chiefs, and President Parker added, and have the new appointments broadcast over Mars. Be sure to state that these new appointments supersede any previous appointments, and they are effective immediately. Yes, ma'am. The general replied as he told his adjutant to get the head of the radio on the line as he continued to make the calls to the new military chiefs. I want satellite pictures and all intel right here, said the president, pointing at the large conference table. Turning to her personal secretary, Mike Bender, she said, contact General Wilson and tell him to transmit an order under my authority as president, nationalizing the entire National Guard, and have him order the National Guards of Virginia, Maryland, Maryland and West Virginia and Pennsylvania to converge on Washington and take all measures necessary to defeat the enemy and secure the capital. Yes, ma'am, Bender said as he picked up a phone to transmit the orders. Leadership and direction returned to the American chain of command. 
as the Battle of Washington blazed on the streets with patriots, military, first responders, and private citizens riding to the sound of the guns, without anyone in overall command, often without tools necessary to do the job. Like the boys of Pointe du Hoc, these enraged patriots did what they had to do to stand in the gap. ISIS may have secured a hit, but they were a long way from winning a battle. Robert, thank you for doing that reading. I know we all appreciate it. I do. And it's been a wonderful time with y'all. And I want to leave you with this one word. It's not one word, actually. It's more than one. But it is. God's gonna give it to God, whatever it is, and he will fix it. I took the right turn.